You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and it is so great to be talking to our next guest, Senator Ted Cruz. He is one of the real fighters for democracy, and we appreciate him being with us. Ted Cruz, thank you, and welcome back. Martha, good morning. Great to be with you. Good morning. First of all, before we get to the big issues of the day, um, tell us about the Truth and Courage um, event that you're going to be attending in Atlanta. Well, sure. I'm coming to Atlanta in just a couple of weeks. I'm coming on Saturday, August 27th. Uh, I'm going to be at the Weston Buckhead, which is 3391 Peachtree Road in Atlanta. And and the event is running from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. And it is a conference bringing in conservatives from Georgia and all across the country uh, to rally and energize conservatives to turn out and win uh, in November, as you know, this election, it, it may well be the most important of our lifetimes. It's certainly the threats in Washington are as grave as we've ever seen them. And Georgia is a battleground state. Georgia could easily determine the direction of this country. Uh, the event's free, so you can come, you can sign up. Uh, the, the website to sign up is togetherfortruth.com. That's together, the number four, truth.com. Registration's free, there's free barbecue, and it's going to be conservative activists getting energized, informed, and equipped to turn out voters and make sure that we have a big, big red wave in November to retake the Senate and retake the House. Both of those, I believe, we're going to do. Oh, that is great to hear. I wanted to thank you, too, because I've been saying for months with this border crossing tragedy that we have had since the beginning of the biden administration that all this is is 21st century slavery and that uh you've seen the uptick in human trafficking you've seen the uptick in sex trafficking um you see what's happening with people that are coming across the border and uh it you're the only person that i can see in power that is calling it what it is and i want to thank you for that well, Martha, thank you for, for, for helping shine a light on what's happening, be, be, because it, it is unmitigated evil. And the corrupt corporate media does not want the American people to see what is happening. I was just down at the southern border a few weeks ago. I brought seven senators down there to see firsthand what is happening. I've been down there many, many times representing the state of Texas. It is by far the worst I've ever seen. We went out on midnight patrol with the Border Patrol. You don't have to hunt to find find illegal aliens. Within minutes, you encounter group after group after group. It is just a constant stream of humanity. First group we encountered was three teenagers coming all, all alone. The next group we encountered was about a dozen, almost all women and children. It included two little girls, both seven years old. Both of them were unaccompanied minors. They had no parent. They had no family member. They weren't sisters. They just were little girls that had been handed over to vicious drug cartels. The Border Patrol agents showed us just a few blocks away where on the grass they had encountered two little girls ages five and six who had been violently raped by these cartels. 
and they had to give medical care to these poor little girls who were so horribly assaulted. All along the banks of the Rio Grande, you see hundreds of plastic wristbands that are discarded. Those wristbands, they're all color-coded, and the colors correspond to how many thousands of dollars those people or those children owe the cartels. It costs thousands upon thousands of dollars to get here. Many of the people who come don't have that money. So when they arrive, they're in debt. They owe those thousands of dollars to the cartels. If they don't pay, their families will be killed back home. And what happens next, Martha, is truly horrific. They have a phone number and an address here in the United States. They go find a Border Patrol agent. They turn themselves in. And then Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the last mile of the human trafficking network. Biden will fly them to whatever city they want to be in. That means even if you live in a city that's not on the southern border, you are a border town. Because every week, every day, Joe Biden is flying illegal immigrants to cities all across the country. Teenage boys arrive in your city and they owe the cartels thousands of dollars, which means those teenage boys are working for violent Mexican drug cartels committing crimes in your city. And as bad as the teenage boys have it, the girls have it even worse. Thousands upon thousands of these girls come to America seeking hope, seeking freedom, seeking a better life. They end up being trapped in sex slavery, being trapped in a house of prostitution, forced to work as prostitutes to pay off the thousands of dollars they owe the cartels or they'll be killed. But you this know, is Senator, not compassionate and it's not humane. It is sick and grotesque and evil. And Senator Cruz, it might as well be $10 million rather than $10,000 because yep. these people can't. It's like the mafia. You know, it's like you can never pay it back, but it's worse. It is absolutely worse. And to me, the you know, our first lady, Marty Kemp, has worked very hard on sex trafficking, uh, anti-sex trafficking legislation here in Georgia. She's become a leader throughout the country on this. But but lots of people are working on this and they're appalled at what is happening. And it's just shocking to me. And thank you for shining that light on it, because we've got to put a stop to this. This has got to happen. And that's another reason why people have got to get out and vote in November. Well, it, it is modern day slavery. And, and there's a reason Joe Biden hasn't been to the border once. There's a reason Kamala Harris hasn't been to the Rio Grande Valley once, because if they came, the TV cameras would follow them. And, and you cannot defend the death, the misery, the assaults that are going on. You know, I had Border Patrol agents describe to me what happens when these girls are trapped in, in, in sex slavery, where, where it's like an old-style plantation, where they, they, they keep a ledger for them. And every single thing they do, they're charged for. They're charged for room. They're charged for board. They're charged for air conditioning. They're charged for sheets. They're charged for showers. Um, if they have a leg a anklet on that is an ankle monitoring bracelet, the cartels ch charge $30 to cut it off with scissors. And so what happens is every day the amount they owe goes up and up and up, and they're trying to work to pay it off. And it's the same thing. It, it, it is a pattern of slavery, sadly, that is centuries old. But we have slavery today in Joe Biden's America, and, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and every Democrat in the Senate they do not care. They don't give a damn. None of them will even go to the border to see the slavery that they are allowing to flourish on our soil. It is horrifying and heartbreaking. 
Absolutely. And um, we've got to keep working on it. We have a local man here, Doug Hansen, who over the last two years has done five trips to the border himself, where he's interacted with Border Patrol. He's met with immigrants that have come through, migrants that have come through. And he is jumping up and down about this, too. Uh, And he's been he has gone to see for himself. And that's what. You know, that's unfortunate. That's what you have to do. But that's what you have to do. Um, Togetherfortruth.com is the website. And I know that you're on a very tight schedule, uh, Senator Cruz. But I appreciate always you being so generous with your time. And, you know, good luck to you. And you're doing hard work. Thank you. Well, thank you, Martha. Come Saturday, August 27th. It is Together for the number four truth.com. It's free. I'll be there. Come bring your friends. Let's work together to take the country back. Absolutely. Senator Ted Cruz, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and Rod Hueys with me today. Good morning. Good morning. And joining me right now is Doug Hansen, who is a businessman here in Gainesville, and we've talked to you on several occasions because he has taken it upon himself to visit the border in different places all throughout since since January twentieth, uh, twenty twenty one. And uh, he's just come back from another trip to the border. And we're going to talk about what he's observed there and what he's learned. Doug, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Martha. It's just a great pleasure to be with you. It's an honor to see you face to face. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. So tell folks about your visits to the border, why this has been on your heart, and then what you've observed with your last trip. I feel it's my patriotic duty to thank these Border Patrol for their unbelievable work. It's so unappreciated, and at the same time, it's important for us to be able to to say to them that they're extremely important to our security, even here in Gainesville. So my wife of 59 years and I go to the the border that is tied in with our uh, vacations. We try to make our vacations purposeful. So in this case, we were out there for a family reunion in El Paso, and we decided to go to the Texas border. And once we got to the Texas border and spoke to some of the Border Patrol who told us that the uh, border at New Mexico was much more active day and night, we chose after the family reunion to come back to the New Mexico border. Uh, this is my fifth trip down there, and I felt like that I could go all the way. We've gone from Texas all the way to California, so the one place we hadn't been is in that area of New Mexico. Uh, there's under 2,000 miles of border, so these are just snippets. These are just small visits, but they're impactful to, to me and to my wife, but they're also impactful, I think, to these men because and women because they've been very, very grateful. They've been hospitable to us. They've been very, very professional. And, Rod, they just real feel like that they've, uh, they've felt like that somebody has cared for them, and that's what we've tried to do. Yes. Now, what we observed in Texas was the Trump wall. It was very high. Some of it even had... Uh, razor wire on top uh, that is uh, the spin wire on top and so there were very few border patrol to find we found one his name was vargas and he's the one that told us about the new mexico border 
He also told us that many of the people now are not staying there in El Paso, the migrants. There were places for them to stay. One of them was the Annunciation House, where they were holding 400 people in the shelter. Well, those people now are not staying there anymore, so they're shutting the shelter down at the end of this month. They didn't have enough volunteers or enough money. And so those people are now going to the interior, according to the Border Patrol. So I went looking for where they're going. How do they get into the interior? And so I found that there are three bus lines there in El Paso, and some of them come here. So I was just concerned about how they get there and how many people are riding. And so I've looked on their websites, and when I see that there have been almost 2,000 bus trips a day by some of these companies, I realize that that's how they're getting to the interior, one of the ways they're getting to the interior. Well, we went into the New Mexico area, and that's where I think, Martha, we were most surprised. Uh, We've seen the border open, despite what we hear from Washington. We've seen doors... I mean, and I want to interject here. As recently as this past Sunday, the Secretary Mayorkas said the border was closed. Okay, so... You know, they continue to say it's under control, but it is not. He used the word secure. Secure, that's right. right. And uh, I think there's a redefinition of the word secure like there's a redefinition of the word recession going on right now. It is not secure. And in Arizona, we observed four doors open down there on the Trump wall. And they said it was open for the monsoon season so that the water could get through. Well, there was no rain But what was getting through from the other side were migrants. In New Mexico, what we saw was a different thing. The wall there is not the Trump wall. The wall there is a three-eighths inch rod that's made into a mesh, and that mesh goes up about 14 to 16 feet. And what's happening is that these migrants or cartels are coming to that wall with portable sawzalls that can be operated with a battery. And they're physically cutting a two-by-two cutout in that wall. And we were able to take pictures of those cutouts from one end to the other, and I counted six of them as we went down and I took photos of them. One of them was covered with a uh, pallet. That was the way that they decided that they were going to try to keep people from coming in. And when we got to the end of this mile, mile and a half of the, uh, of the uh, wall... We encountered some Florida Army National Guard guys that were sitting in a uh, pickup truck with a boon on the top of it. And they were looking back down at the wall at us. And after we exchanged our pleasantries and introduced ourselves and they got out of the truck, he said to me, did you see those four migrants that came through that hole you were taking that picture of? Were that where you were? I said, no. He said, well, they were right behind you then. Four came through one of those holes and went into the bush. They were gotaways. And what surprised me as I've done a little research is that up to now, through physical 22, there have been 440,000 gotaways on that border. What scares me is that we don't know who they are. We don't know their identity. We don't know where they're from. And we don't know where they've gone. And therefore, uh, I have great concerns for my kids and my grandkids and that's why I want to at least bolster as much security with those people that are down there as I possibly can. 
So the the Florida National Guard is down there. I know the Georgia National Guard. I think is in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there is help there, but there's a limitation to what they can do. Correct? They only are surveillance. All they do is just watch. And then when they saw those four guys come through, they report it to the U.S. Border Patrol, and it's up to the Border Patrol to pursue them. After our visit there on the New Mexico border, I went to fill up my uh, rent car to take it back in, and I was at a service station, and I found two more people that were there that were helpful in getting information. One of them was another U.S. Border Patrol who was filling his truck up for his work. I said, uh, how are things going? He said, well, I'm just going to work. I'm not quite sure. I show up at 6 o'clock. I got an eight-hour stint to do. I said, tell me... uh, how are things going? He said, well, I've just heard today that we've had 20 getaways come through. And he said, I'm probably going to have a pretty busy night. 20 per night just coming over or through. Really, really concerning. And at the same time, I met a guy that had built a very unusual ATV. It was just a, a, a real monster. And he was filling it up. And I said, well, that's quite a quite a setup there he said well i built it so that i can go along the wall as a civilian and cut down the ropes that they throw over during the night so i can do what i can to mitigate this problem he said they come into my yard and hide in my kids playground equipment all the time and i'm trying to stop it so civilians now are getting involved and well protecting their property they are and trying to that, stop it. You know, that's amazing to me to sit here and listen to this. I'm, I guess I'm in awe. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, how they say a lack of words. But when you think of this, you have one of the ropes here uh, in the studio with us. And it's amazing to me that it doesn't take much, but it, it costs us a lot. Rod, this is uh, just a piece of... Uh, I grappling guess you would say hook, it is a grappling yeah. hook that they've crafted themselves and put with a, together with, with nylon uh, electric rope. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nylon rope and some uh, electrical tape, and they throw it over the top, and it catches, and then they'll rappel themselves to the top, and then they'll hang it, and then they'll rappel down, and they'll throw it back for the next guy. And uh, I've never been able to pick up these kind of—I uh, don't want to call them souvenirs—they're just things that are left behind. But I did this time because I felt like it was important to let my people and community know what's what's going actually on. going on. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, you are, and I hope you're talking to state reps and to other people like that because they need to see this stuff. Uh, some other I mean, things you have you pictures have, and everything. Well, and some other things that you have is the thrown away SIM card thing where yep. someone's taken a SIM card that they've gotten and they've thrown it away and put it in their phone that's been given to them by yes our government yes. and that the cost of all of this is not just the cost that we see on paper. It's the cost of people that live on the border that are having to protect their families. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be going to Washington, D.C. the end of September for Hold Their Feet to the Fire, which is a which is an immigration uh, informational radio row that we do. And the thing that people don't understand and what, Doug, you are highlighting very well is that you may not be a border country. You may not be on the border but it's affecting your lifestyle absolutely it's affecting us no matter where you are really because you never know who you're coming in contact with you sure don't you know martha you don't know what you don't know but when you do 
then I think with reliable sources, which I consider myself, you have a responsibility to do something. And uh, one of the reasons why I have gone down there and then report back is that I think it's getting time to do something. And so I've put together seven or eight things that I think that we really need to do here in Gainesville that matter about this situation. It's, it's getting ready, if it hasn't already, indirectly, to impact us here. And I'm concerned. Doug, you've traveled to the border five times. We're talking about what you've learned. But now, what do you think needs to come next? Martha, I've really, really prayed about this. And uh, I think there are at least 10 suggestions that I might have, if you could just allow me the time to go through a few of them. A few of them, right. One of them is that I really, first off, think that we need to pray for these Border Patrol and other support agencies. Maybe we start a new campaign that says "Back the Olive" as opposed to uh, as opposed to "Back the Blue." They wear olive uniforms. Their work is very, very dangerous. Rod, just want to let you know that in 2018, on their website, in line of duty on the borders, one Border Patrol died in the line of duty in 18. In 19, four died. In 20, 21 died. In 21, 34 died. These men need and women need our prayers. And we also need to pray for our leaders locally, whether it's Sam Kuvion, Brian Lackey, or Jay Parrish, Gerald Couch. These are our first line of defense, and they need to be in our prayers. Number two, we need to vote in this November the 22nd, uh, 2022 election for people who will stand up for law and order. We need to vote for it. We need to be intentional about it. We need to go and pick them up and take them to the polls to vote. We don't just need to assume things. We need to be intentional at this election cycle. The third thing is that I think we need to write thank you and encouraging notes to these Border Patrol sectors. And I've given you in the past a list of these, and if you want to put them on your website, I've updated it to include the three more areas that we've been on these recent trips. And fourth, I think we need to write our congressman. Our congressman, Andrew Clyde, uh, we need to suggest that he visit this southern border. I don't know if he has or he hasn't, but I do know one thing about it. He has a responsibility there. And from his website, it tells me that he is on the House Committee assignment to Homeland Security. So we have someone from the 9th District that has authority to make a difference. And he could at least go there and make monthly assessments and like I've done. he has been to the border. He, he has been to the border, and we've talked about okay. that. Okay. He he's, has a subcommittee on border security facilitation. So I intend to be in touch with him. His other subcommittee is Border Infrastructure and Operations Protection. So with all these cutouts going on on the New Mexico border, he could just slip down there and see it and then be be informed himself. The fifth thing is that I think we need to write the governors of the red states who send their National Guard to the border states. We've got Ron DeSantis who is not down on the border but he is sending his National Guard to New Mexico simply because the New Mexico governor won't send hers down there. 
And so I told these boys that I took pictures of, these soldiers, that I would send their pictures to Ron DeSantis. And on Monday, I sent a certified letter to him of congratulations for the great work that these men are doing. Number six, I'm alerting our community. And I'm assembling presentations to go to our civic organizations to let our town know about the situation there and what we can do and how it impacts our city. Now, I think we might want to begin to consider some of the things that are coming into our area that we, this is sensitive stuff, but we might want to just check some of the the bus routes and some of the things that are coming into our city because they're coming from those areas and, you know, we, we've got to be intentional about protecting our our, our, our people. And I think we need to lean on our city council and our regulatory agencies for zoning compliances. The HOAs in our city now are becoming under great pressure to control control street parking. We've got noise abatement. Our building permits were given for single-family houses, but they're becoming more and more multifamily in subdivisions. And, and my concern is, is how the school bus is going to get down through some of these areas where there's 20 cars in front of a home. Or how are we going to have hook and ladder trucks making a call to a burning home when we got these congestion areas in our subdivisions? I believe the councils and our regulatory agencies need to be more involved. And I think we might even consider a civilian corps that would go to some of these countries and build houses for these people that might keep them there rather than wanting to come here. You know, you've hit on something there. You know, President Kennedy talked about that in his inaugural address about our hemisphere and dealing with that. And we have spent so much time over the last 50 years looking in other places. I think we need to keep it closer to home. And when I say closer to home, I mean our hemisphere. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because... We, if we can't take care of ourselves, we can't help anybody else anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's the age-old thing. You all, you got a heart to help, but if you can't help yourself, you're in trouble. Lynn and I have been to uh, Guatemala five times building houses. And we in a week, we built a house for a family, and it cost $2,000 in materials. So just imagine if Delta Airlines said, well, let's take this group down there, let's go to Guatemala City, and here's the money that we might spend for something else. We're going to use it there. And we all worked together with those nationals to build homes down there for them. And, you know, Rotary Clubs and things like that are doing that sort of thing about housing and water and that sort of thing. Doug, we are up against a hard break here, but I so appreciate the work you've done. We are going to have you back on, and I'm going to help you advocate for this. Thank you so much, Martha. Thank you so much, Doug. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and Rod Hueys with me today. Good morning. Good morning. And joining me right now is Doug Hansen, who is a businessman here in Gainesville, and we've talked to on several occasions because he has taken it upon himself to visit the border in different places all throughout since since January 20th, uh, 2021. And uh, he's just come back from another trip to the border. And we're going to talk about what he's observed there and what he's learned. Doug, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Martha. It's just a great pleasure to be with you. It's an honor to see you face to face. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. So tell folks about your visits to the border, why you've this has been on your heart, and then what you've observed with your last trip. I feel it's my patriotic duty to thank these Border Patrol for their 
unbelievable work. It's so unappreciated, and at the same time, it's important for us to be able to to say to them that they're extremely important to our security, even here in Gainesville. So my wife of 59 years and I go to the to the border that is tied in with our uh, vacations. We try to make our vacations purposeful. So in this case, we were out there for a family reunion in El Paso, and we decided to go to the Texas border. And once we got to the Texas border and spoke to some of the Border Patrol who told us that the uh, border at New Mexico was much more active day and night, we chose after the family reunion to come back to the New Mexico border. Uh, This is my fifth trip down there, and I felt like that I could go all the way. We've gone from Texas all the way to California, so the one place we hadn't been is in that area of New Mexico. Uh, There's under 2,000 miles of border, so these are just snippets. These are just small visits, but they're impactful to to me and to my wife, but they're also impactful, I think, to these men because and women because they've been very, very grateful. They've been hospitable to us. They've been very, very professional. And Rod, they just real feel like that they've uh, they've felt like that somebody has cared for them, and that's what we've tried to do. Yes. Now, what we observed in Texas was the Trump Wall. It was very high. Some of it even had. Uh, razor wire on top uh, that is uh, the spin wire on top and so there were very few border patrol to find we found one his name was vargas and he's the one that told us about the new mexico border he also told us that many of the people now are not staying there in el paso the migrants there were places for them to stay one of them was the annunciation house where they were holding 400 people in the shelter. Well, those people now are not staying there anymore, so they're shutting the shelter down at the end of this month. They didn't have enough volunteers or enough money, and so those people are now going to the interior, according to the Border Patrol. So I went looking for where they're going. How do they get into the interior? And so I found that there are three bus lines there in El Paso, and some of them come here. So I was just concerned about how they get there and how many people are riding. And so I've looked on their websites. And when I see that there have been almost 2,000 bus trips a day by some of these companies, I realize that that's how they're getting to the interior, one of the ways they're getting to the interior. Well, we went into the New Mexico area, and that's where I think, Martha, we were most surprised. Uh, We've seen the border open despite what we hear from Washington. We've seen doors... Yeah, I mean, and I want to interject here. As recently as this past Sunday, the Secretary Mayorka said the border was closed. Okay, so, you know, they continue to say it's under control, but it is not. He used the word secure. Secure, that's right. right. And uh, I think there's a redefinition of the word secure like there's a redefinition of the word recession going on right now. It is not secure. And in Arizona, we observed four doors open down there on the Trump Wall. And they said it was open for the monsoon season so that the water could get through. Well, there was no rain, but what was getting through from the other side were migrants. In New Mexico, what we saw was a different thing. The wall there is not the Trump Wall. The wall there is a three-eighths-inch rod that's made into a mesh and that mesh goes up about 14 to 16 feet. 
And what's happening is that these migrants or cartels are coming to that wall with portable sawzalls that can be operated with a battery. And they're physically cutting a two-by-two cutout in that wall. And we were able to take pictures of those cutouts from one end to the other, and I counted six of them as we went down and I took photos of them. One of them was covered with a uh, pallet. That was the way that they decided that they were going to try to keep people from coming in. And when we got to the end of this mile, mile and a half of the, uh, of the uh, wall, we encountered some Florida Army National Guard guys that were sitting in a uh, pickup truck with a boon on the top of it. And they were looking back down at the wall at us. And after we exchanged our pleasantries and introduced ourselves and they got out of the truck, he said to me, did you see those four migrants that came through that hole you were taking that picture of? Were that where you were? I said, no. He said, well, they were right behind you then. Four came through one of those holes and went into the bush. They were gotaways. And what surprised me is I've done a little research is that up to now, through physical 22, there have been 440,000 gotaways on that border. What scares me is that we don't know who they are. We don't know their identity. We don't know where they're from. And we don't know where they've gone. And therefore, uh, I have great concerns for my kids and my grandkids. And that's why I want to at least bolster as much security with those people that are down there as I possibly can. So the the Florida National Guard is down there. I know the Georgia National Guard. I think is in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there is help there, but there's a limitation to what they can do. Correct? They only are surveillance. All they do is just watch. And then when they saw those four guys come through, they report it to the U.S. Border Patrol, and it's up to the Border Patrol to pursue them. After our visit there on the New Mexico border, I went to fill up my uh, rent car to take it back in, and I was at a service station, and I found two more people that were there that were helpful in getting information. One of them was another U.S. Border Patrol who was filling his truck up for his work. I said, uh, how are things going? He said, well, I'm just going to work. I'm not quite sure. I show up at 6 o'clock. I got an eight-hour stint to do. I said, tell me... uh, how are things going? He said, well, I've just heard today that we've had 20 getaways come through. And he said, I'm probably going to have a pretty busy night. 20 per night just coming over or through. Really, really concerning. And at the same time, I met a guy that had built a very unusual ATV. It was just a, a, a real monster. And he was filling it up. And I said, well, that's quite a quite a setup there he said well i built it so that i can go along the wall as a civilian and cut down the ropes that they throw over during the night so i can do what i can to mitigate this problem he said they come into my yard and hide in my kids playground equipment all the time and i'm trying to stop it so civilians now are getting involved and well protecting their property they are and trying to that, stop it. You know, that's amazing to me to sit here and listen to this. I'm, I guess I'm in awe. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, how they say a lack of words. But when you think of this, you have one of the ropes here uh, in the studio with us. And it's amazing to me that it doesn't take much, but it, it costs us a lot. Rod, this is uh, 
just a piece of uh, I guess you would say it's a grappling yeah. hook that they've crafted themselves and put with together with nylon electric rope. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nylon rope and some uh, electrical tape, and they throw it over the top, and it catches, and then they'll rappel themselves to the top, and then they'll hang it, and then they'll rappel down, and they'll throw it back for the next guy. And uh, I've never been able to pick up these kind of, uh, I don't want to call them souvenirs, they're just things that are left behind, but I did this time because I felt like it was important to let my people and community know what's What's actually going on? I mean, you and I hope you're talking to state reps and to other people like that because they need to see this stuff. Uh, Some other things you have pictures and everything. Well, and some other things that you have is the thrown away SIM card thing, where someone's taken a SIM card that they've gotten and they've thrown it away and put it in their phone that's been given to them by yes our government. Yes, and that the cost of all of this is not just the cost that we see on paper. It's the cost of people that live on the border that are having to protect their families. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be going to Washington, D.C. the end of September for Hold Their Feet to the Fire, which is a, which is an immigration uh, informational radio row that we do. And the thing that people don't understand and what, Doug, you are highlighting very well is that you may not be a border country and you may not be on the border, but it's affecting your Absolutely. lifestyle. Absolutely. It's affecting us no matter where you are, really, because you never know who you're coming in contact with. You sure don't. You know, Martha, you don't know what you don't know. But when you do, then I think with reliable sources, which I consider myself, you have a responsibility to do something. And uh, one of the reasons why I have gone down there and then report back is that I think it's getting time to do something. And so I've put together seven or eight things that I think that we really need to do here in Gainesville that matter about this situation. It's it's getting ready, if it hasn't already, indirectly, to impact us here. And I'm concerned. Doug, you've traveled to the border five times. We're talking about what you've learned. But now, what do you think needs to come next? Martha, I've really, really prayed about this. And uh, I think there are at least... 10 suggestions that I might have if you could just allow me the time to go through a few of them. A few of them, right. One of them is that I really, first off, think that we need to pray for these Border Patrol and other support agencies. Maybe we start a new campaign that says back the olive as opposed to to back the blue. They wear olive uniforms. Their work is very, very dangerous, Rod. Just want to let you know that in 2018 on their website, in line of duty on the borders, one Border Patrol died in the line of duty in 18. In 19, four died. In 20, 21 died. In 21, 34 died. These men need and women need our prayers. And we also need to pray for our leaders locally, whether it's Sam Cuvion, Brian Lackey, or Jay Parrish, Gerald Couch. These are our first line of defense, and they need to be in our prayers. Number two, we need to vote in this November the 22nd, uh, 2022 election for people who will stand up for law and order. We need to vote for it. We need to be intentional about it. We need to go and pick them up and take them to the polls to vote. 
we don't just need to assume things. We need to be intentional at this election cycle. The third thing is that I think we need to write thank you and encouraging notes to these Border Patrol sectors. And I've given you in the past a list of these. And if you want to put them on your website, I've updated it to include the three more areas that we've been on these recent trips. And fourth, I think we need to write our congressman. Our congressman, Andrew Clyde, uh, we need to suggest that he visit this southern border. I don't know if he has or he hasn't, but I do know one thing about it. He has a responsibility there, and from his website, it tells me that he is on the House Committee assignment to Homeland Security. So we have someone from the 9th District that has authority to make a difference, and he could at least go there and make monthly assessments and like I've done. he has been to the border. He, he has been to the border, and we've talked about okay. that. Okay. He he's, has a subcommittee on border security facilitation, so I intend to be in touch with him. His other subcommittee is border infrastructure and operations protection. So with all these cutouts going on on the New Mexico border, he could just slip down there and see it and then be, be informed himself. The fifth thing is that I think we need to write the governors of the red states who send their National Guard to the border states. We've got Ron DeSantis, who is not down on the border, but he is sending his National Guard to New Mexico simply because the New Mexico governor won't send hers down there. And so I told these boys that I took pictures of, these soldiers, that I would send their pictures to Ron DeSantis. And on Monday, I sent a certified letter to him of congratulations for the great work that these men are doing. Number six, I'm alerting our community. And I'm assembling presentations to go to our civic organizations to let our town know about the situation there and what we can do and how it impacts our city. Now... I think we might want to begin to consider some of the things that are coming into our area that we, this is sensitive stuff, but we might want to just check some of the the bus routes and some of the things that are coming into our city because they're coming from those areas and, you know, we, we've got to be intentional about protecting our, 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 our people. And I think we need to lean on our city council and our regulatory agencies for zoning compliances. The HOAs in our city now are becoming under great pressure to control control street parking. We've got noise abatement. Our building permits were given for single-family houses, but they're becoming more and more multifamily in subdivisions. And, and my concern is, is how the school bus is going to get down through some of these areas where there's 20 cars in front of a home. Or how are we going to have hook and ladder trucks making a call to a burning home when we got these congestion areas in our subdivisions? I believe the councils and our regulatory agencies need to be more involved. And I think we might even consider a civilian corps that would go to some of these countries and build houses for these people that might keep them there rather than wanting to come here. You know, you've hit on something there. You know, President Kennedy talked about that in his inaugural address about our hemisphere and dealing with that. And we have spent so much time over the last 50 years looking in other places. I think we need to keep it closer to home. And when I say closer to home, I mean our hemisphere. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because... 
we if we can't take care of ourselves, we can't help anybody else anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's the age old thing. You all, you got a heart to help, but if you can't help yourself, you're in trouble. Lynn and I have been to uh, Guatemala five times building houses. And we in a week, we built a house for a family, and it cost $2,000 in materials. So just imagine if Delta Airlines said, well, let's take this group down there, and let's go to Guatemala City, and here's the money that we might spend for something else. We're going to use it there. And we all worked together with those nationals to build homes down there for them. And, you know, Rotary Clubs and things like that are doing that sort of thing about housing and water and that sort of thing. Doug, we are up against a hard break here, but I so appreciate the work you've done. We are going to have you back on, and I'm going to help you advocate for this. Thank you so much, Martha. Thank you so much, Doug. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. I don't even want to say how many years I have known A.J. Rice, but he has worked for a number of different people in the conservative movement, including Laura Ingram, Judge Janine Pirro, Donald Trump Jr., Monica Crowley. He also worked for John Solomon uh, for a show. I mean, the list goes on and on, and he has had clients that we book on this program all the time and really love talking to them. Uh, He's written a book called The Woking Dead, Volume Publius Prose, Volume 1, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. And, A.J., I thought it was appropriate to come in with that audio because we were hit by the Woking Dead yesterday when they decided to cancel a music festival because of our gun laws. I heard that. I heard that on the news. Uh, you'll have to fill me in on that. I mean, it sounded like the, uh, the, 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 the some artists were protesting that some of the you know paying customers might want to protect themselves. Yes, yes, and that they were afraid they would have lawsuits if they if they banned guns because we have have now constitutional carry in Georgia. Uh, Governor Kemp has Absolutely. kept his promise uh, to be able to let lawful gun owners use you know be able to carry guns just about anywhere, and um, it is very interesting because the left tries to come up against that. But the fact of the matter is, lawful gun owners are not the ones committing crimes on the streets of Atlanta. Correct. And look, beyond what beyond what Kemp has done, you now have the backing of the United States Supreme Court. Absolutely. And the and the Constitution. So I mean, you know, they this this is gonna go on, you know, this is gonna go on for some time. Um there's gonna be venues like this that aren't gonna be able to really figure it out. You know. Um now you have written the alternative of course is if somebody gets in there that it's an unlawful gun owner and there's nobody there to protect or bring the person down, I mean we've got a story like this all the time where, where someone, either, you know, ex-military, uh, Second Amendment person, you know, they're there. They're armed. And it's like Jefferson used to say, you know, once guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns. Now, The Woking Dead, is this your first foray into putting a book together? It is. It's a long time coming. You know, it's, uh, it's really um, super excited to be talking to your audience um, because we have a great relationship with you. And with uh, Bill Main's crew, so you know the good people of uh, Gainesville and surrounding areas. Um, glad to be talking to you. But yeah, first book um, started putting it together last couple years of Trump, first year of Biden. Um, basically, w- during the pandemic and watching everyone freak out about the coronavirus, and it, it dawned on me with all the things that have happened in the last couple of years culturally that the true virus we're dealing with is wokeism. 
whether it's CRT, whether it's, you know, the Me Too movement, whether it's cancel culture, we need to push back in the culture to retake the culture. And what you did here is put together a whole bunch of stories about different issues and but did them in really a funny way, because if you remember our old friend Alan Combs, who was one of the few liberals that actually had a radio show that was successful. Absolutely. And I remember asking him, you know, Alan, why is it the liberals aren't that successful on radio? And he said two things. One, we don't have a sense of humor about ourselves. <laughs> And two, when you're bashing capitalism all the time, it's hard to get sponsors. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you, know, my, you know, Alan Combs was married to Monica Crowley's sister. Yes. So we, uh, when I was producing Monica, you know, we had him on quite a bit. You know, there was a, there was a happy joy, happy liberal joy about Alan that really is kind of gone from his modern uh, uh, stand-ins. Um, and he, he was always talking about that is that, you know, if we if you appear humorless and you're railing against people with money, then they're never going to spend money on you. No, you're absolutely right about that. So tell us what your favorite, cause we want people to read this. I was telling AJ earlier this morning when we were talking on the phone, preparing for the interview that I usually am way ahead in reading these books, but I did not actually put the, pick this one up until about four o'clock this morning when I was getting up, getting ready to prepare for the show, and I couldn't put it down. And it's a lot of great short stories that take a look at this. Um, one of my favorites was number 45, Marxist Propaganda Foisted on Young Kids, because I am on the Georgia State Board of Education, and we were the first board of education in the country to take a stand against uh, what we call divisive concepts. And what I did And we ended up passing legislation, too. And what I pushed for was not to call it CRT, because you know how liberals are. If you if you ban CRT, then they're just going to change the name of it and try to get in some other way. So we we were specific about the concepts that we weren't going to allow to be taught. And we became a model kind of for the rest of the country. Well, I mean, look, what I have seen going on, first of all, sending everyone home from work. Uh, working parents, they finally got to look and see what was their kids were bringing home, right? So they, they, were, they were horrified to discover that, you know, uh, Louis Farrakhan was being taught, but uh, Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton were not. Um, look, if you're going to change the culture, which the left wants to do, if you're going to destroy American tradition, you got to start early, right? You have to start early. Um, in some cases, even before first grade. So there's a whole chapter, and we go through pretty much almost every educational bracket um, from, you know, preschool all the way up to what goes on in graduate schools um, about how, you know, whether it's the 1619 Project or, you know, any number of sort of left-wing philosophies are all being pumped by the campuses. The campuses are creating basically little jackboot, uh, you know, basically private police forces of students that are trying to prevent also any type of professor to have a conservative opinion, any type of student from having a conservative opinion, and keeping guest speakers off the campuses. I mean, some of our friends, Martha, over the years have been, you know, run out of town. I mean, Shapiro's been run out of town. Coulter's been run out of town. Jordan Peterson, you know, uh, 
I mean, even even people that are not even fire like bomb throwers, like Douglas Douglas Murray, um, you know, and and people like that. So, uh, so look, I mean, again, one of the things you have to understand is the American people they they operate off of how their culture is, and if you want to cancel their books they want to read, run comedians out of town, shut down their shows, shut down their radio shows, you know, shut down talk radio, uh, shadow ban websites. I mean, they're going to notice. They may not know who the you know senators from Oregon are, but they'll notice that, especially if it's in their kids' textbooks. I will tell you that, that one of the things that, that we've got to get back to is I read everything. I even read stuff I don't agree with. I talk to people all across the spectrum. And you know, one of the funniest stories, and you didn't cover it in this book, but it's a good one to cover, is that after the 2016 election, the New York Times was sitting around saying, you know, we really got it wrong. How could this have happened? And they sent people to Trump states as if they were different countries, you know, to interview people from Trump states. And guess what they found out? They were really nice, normal people that invited them in their house and, big surprise, had friends all across the spectrum of viewpoints and were able to peacefully coexist. That's right. They went to the alien planet where, you know, of Louisiana. They went to Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we're, you know, we're not the canceling type, at least most of us. And, you know, if you've got a, a friend that's, you know, on the liberal uh, reservation or has maybe agrees with you on 75, 75% of the things like I guess Newt used to say, right? Yes. Um, or 80%. Um, you know, that's no reason to totally kill your friendship or in some cases, as we read during the pandemic and during the Trump years, marriages falling apart, relationships. I can't find a date, you know, just crazy stuff because they are really filtering and this is not healthy not for conservatives or liberals they're filtering their entire existence through this ideological prism instead of just living life so if you were going to put your crystal ball hat on what do you see happening one in november but two going forward to the 2024 presidential election well um you know, Biden keeps getting COVID. He may get COVID once a week until the election to just kind of keep <laughs> keep him out of keep him out of the the top of mind of the of the American people. Um, I think we've got them. I think we've got them in a 2010, you know, 1994 kind of way. Um, the question is, and I think redistricting is going to help really smash them. Um, as long as we don't blow it, I mean, they're going to try to find wins. Uh, they found a win yesterday with Zawahiri, uh, which I'm glad about. Yes. Uh, <laughs> General, find me a win. Uh, I need my polls up. Uh, you know, apparently Zawahiri was just hanging out on a balcony in Kabul. And I wonder, you know, how long we've known that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, some of these things, when they happen, I'm just like, huh, all right. So I, I think we can win. The Senate's always going to be tougher. Uh, the House, you know, is uh, where it's the people's passion. I think the House yeah, is Yeah, the House be is where the people's yeah. passion boils over, as Madison used to say. And, uh, you know, we need to keep retaining these governorships. Uh, you know, we just have to. Um, we can't go in 
and you know, and I know you've, you've been dealing with it a little bit in Georgia, you know, um, and I love, I love all sides of conservatism in Georgia. And I know pretty much, and I'm friends with a lot of the people that are running and they were, were running in the governor's race. And we need to not be kneecapping our own people. That's right. We need to not be doing that. So once you go through the process, once you go through the process and you get it, if you're going to be in a Republican primary, then you need to set, accept the outcome. And then you need to get behind that person. That's just the way it is. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, so Spend look, a lot of time, you know, throwing uh, fastballs, you know, up in the grill of our own people. Uh, we, you know, we need to turn the turn the turrets around. You know, I mean, let's let's get it together. As far as you know, as far as the presidential election, we'll see. You know, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, who the Never Trumpers send out there as their sacrificial lamb to just do interviews and give speeches and, you know, yell about January 6th. I mean, I guess we're going to find out. Maybe the, the Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney ticket. I don't know. <laughs> so who do you think will ultimately, I mean, I know everybody is of the, I think President Trump is going to run. It's a question of when he's going to announce. Um, I don't know who else is going to run. Uh, who do you think will, will, will he clear the field or will other people run against him? Well, there's a couple different lanes. Um, you know, there, there, there will always be, you know, the, the sort of Ted Cruz sort of higher brow lane um, for conservatives. Uh, I mean, look, Hawley's in that lane. Tom Cotton's probably in that lane. You know, will they run if Trump runs? Probably not. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think anyone wants... I mean, Trump went through 16, 17, 18 people, uh, you know, six years ago. And, you know, it wasn't pretty for any of them. And some of them are some of them are still wearing their nicknames. So the key is going to be whether DeSantis or as I, I call him in the book, DeSantis Clause, uh, <laughs> whether DeSantis Clause, DeSantis Clause, who it's basically Christmas every day of the year for the people of Florida. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's um, very true. Versus California, for, per se. Uh, but look, you know, they're friends. Some of this stuff you're reading is not true. They have some of the same advisors. Uh, so, you know, hopefully they can work something out and we don't have some nightmarish, grotesque, you know, internecine GOP primary of craziness. Yep. I mean, you're going to look, Chris Christie may go out there to pop off. Uh, Asa Hutchinson may go out there. There's a whole little little cabal of never Trump people that, that get invited on network television. So one of them is going to going to try to show up and do something. Now, do you, you know, think maybe, I mean, President Trump is going to be 75 years old. He, he'll be 76 by the time the election comes around. Do you think that's an imp, that's an issue? I mean, I, I'm watching him you know, golf over the weekend, 90 degrees with the best in the world. I mean, he looks like he slimmed down a little bit since he got off that White House food. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, if he doesn't run, that'll probably get cited, health. But, you know, as you know, with what I do as my day job, beyond just writing The Woking Dead, you know, I, I'm on the phone with, you know, Peter Navarro, Paul Manafort. You know, they have books coming out. We're, we're going to get them on with you. I mean, look, you know, the people closest to him, I mean, it, all, all signs point to running. 
A.J. Rice, The Woking Dead, Publius Prose, Volume 1. You got to get it, and we appreciate you being with us today. Martha, my old friend, thank you. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.